So I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Let's begin reading in verse verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and to the Father by him. Twice in those three verses, he talks about giving thanks, be thankful, and giving thanks to the Father because of his goodness to us, amen, and all that the Lord has done for us. Thanksgiving, the day that our nation celebrates Thanksgiving is this coming Thursday. I don't always... uh, preach a, a topical sermon in the sense of whatever the, the holiday is, but I, the Lord did give me a word this morning for Thanksgiving and for today, and I think it's very appropriate, the passage that we just read. It really, the key or the source of happiness is Christ. You can go through life all your life and get old and die And you can have a lot of wealth and different things come into your life and pass through your hands and a lot of things that are comfortable and pleasant in this life. But the source of happiness is Christ, the source of true joy. Men in Christ are happy. Men in Christ are blessed. We heard it in the Sunday school lesson this morning. If you missed Sunday school, you missed a good one. They're all wonderful. But we studied Psalm 32 this morning. We're going through the Psalms. Blessed or happy is the man whose transgression is forgiven who the Lord does not impute iniquity to. Um, It's the man in Christ that's going to be blessed and happy and overflowing with the peace of God, with the joy of the Lord. And in return, we're to be thankful to the one who's done all this for us. It sounds like a little thing. You know, be sure to say thank you or whatever. When it comes to the Lord, it's not a little thing. And be thankful, the Bible says. What a blessing It might sound a little strange. It's a blessing to be thankful. I'm thankful to be thankful. I'm thankful that my eyes are open and I see. What a joy to be thankful to God. I believe without question, because I've been this person before, that unthankful and ungrateful people are not happy. People that are, no matter what they have or don't have, unthankful and ungrateful people are not going to be happy. They're not going to be joyful. It's a holy and happy, Christ-like trait to be thankful. It is of God. It It is godly. It is of Christ to be thankful for a person, a human being, created in the image of God, washed in his blood, to be thankful. Thankfulness is of God, and it is from God. It is actually a product in our heart that is produced as a result of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And having his way and working in us. Thankfulness comes back. You'll see it all through the scriptures. And maybe you just kind of pass over it. It seems like almost like a little phrase. Like saying amen or something. But all through the Bible. Believers are to be thankful. And believers are thankful. Thankfulness of God. 
to, to God, it's because our eyes have been opened. We can truly be thankful now. You could teach a lost person to say thank you at the right moments and the right times and appear a certain way. But true thanksgiving and gratefulness flows from our hearts because our eyes have been opened. What can we now see? We can see what we were, who and what we were before Christ redeemed us, where we were headed, what we were deserving of, the judgment of God. And we can see the goodness of God and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ extended to who? Extended to us. Extended to sinful men. To, and we're thankful because of it. We're thankful. Our eyes have been opened. Our sins have been forgiven. We have new life in Christ. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And we are to be thankful. Well, I don't have a lot to be thankful for. Well, we all do. We all have very much to be thankful for. We're going to talk about it some this morning. But giving thanks to the Lord honors the Lord. It honors the Lord. You might, your body might be hurting. You might be tired. You might be going through a severe trial. But giving thanks from your heart back to the Lord, it honors the Lord. From the man that he has created or the woman that he's created, he also sustains our life and keeps us going. In him we live and move and have our very beings. He holds, he holds even the sparrow in his hand. How much more us of little faith does he hold in his hands? Are we not more valuable? He says, fear not, you're much more value than a sparrow. He sustains our lives. And if we're born again, he has redeemed our lives. And we're new in Christ. And so it's true gratitude in our hearts and it comes back out from our hearts. And this is an evidence. True thankfulness. If you're around a person that's thankful, truly thankful in all lots of circumstances in life, true thankfulness from our hearts is, is evidence of the work of God in our lives. It's evidence, that, it's evidence that we belong to Christ, that we're new in Christ, that we're born of his spirit, that we're not who and what we were before. We ought to be a thankful people. Amen? And that is going to produce, believe it or not, they kind of go hand in hand, the thankfulness and the joy. The unhappy person is going to be unthankful, and the unthankful person is going to be unhappy. I want you to read, with, turn with me in your Bibles to the Old Testament of 2 Samuel. There are many examples in the Bible. The Lord put this one on my heart for this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 9. <clears throat> So at this point, 2 Samuel chapter 9, there David has spent many years, he had already been anointed as king by Samuel, God's true prophet, that he was going to be king, but he didn't take the throne. He was a young boy at the time, a shepherd boy. He killed Goliath and so forth, and he was a faithful servant to then King Saul. King Saul wanted to kill him because he was jealous of David and his admiration among the people, the way the people admired him, his success in battle and how God used him. And he was envious and he said, and one day he's going to try to take the kingdom from me. David never did try to take the kingdom from him. God took it from Saul because of his unfaithfulness to the Lord. And, and he put David in that position. But for years, David actually spent uh, time running from Saul, who wanted to hunt him down and brought armies to hunt him down. Well, finally, uh, 
I don't know how much time that was exactly, but Jonathan, Saul's son, who was Jonathan, who was good friends with David, Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle against the Philistines. And David actually takes the throne. God did it. He orchestrated everything. He didn't have to usurp any authority. God placed him in that position. And he began to, his kingdom began to be established. And enemies were being expelled and so forth. And so here, that's where we're reading right now. His kingdom is being established and it's in the early points, parts of that. So let's look at 2 Samuel 9 verse 3. And then we're going to skip down to verse 5. And the king said, this is David, is there any, is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I might show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. Skip down to verse 5. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Emil from Lodabar. Now, when Mephibosheth, this is Jonathan's son that David had inquired about. The son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David. He fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will show, surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Skip down to verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table, and he was lame on his feet. Now this is a, a, a true account. These are real people. But it is a type Types and shadows only go so far, but they do go this far. David, in the kindness that he was showing, was a type of Christ in this instance. Okay? Now, we never read the word, thank you, from Mephibosheth, but it's implied. He falls at his feet and does reverence and says, What am I, your, your servant, that you should even look as a dead dog as I am? It's implied the thankfulness and the thanksgiving. So, a few few. Uh, points about this. Mephibosheth dwelt in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar is not famous like Hebron or Jerusalem or one of the other big cities that we know of from the Bible. Lodabar literally means desolation or no pasture. So this man is, remember it's a picture and it's a type and a shadow. Mephibosheth was Saul's uh, grandson, Jonathan's son. Jonathan had this son. When news came that Jonathan and Saul had been killed in the battle against the Philistines. The, the nursemaid took up this child at five years old and fled, maybe thinking the Philistines were coming. And in the process, there was an accident. He fell. I don't know exactly if he fell off a horse or what happened. doesn't say. And he became lame on his feet. He was lame from then on. And so by the time he sees David, he's lame. He lives in a place called Desolation. He lives uh, in the house of one named Makir, which means sold or even sold under sin. Place of desolation, sold under sin, lame on his feet. He would have been somebody that would have, you would thought very little about. He had really nothing, honestly, he had really nothing to offer to King David. Well, I can contribute this to you or to your kingdom. 
He's lame on his feet. He has nothing to offer. And David literally says he's inquiring. This, this is a Christ-like trait. Not only is he kind to people when they come and ask him for kindness, he was looking for somebody to be kind to. Hey, Ziba, is there anybody? Ziba is one of uh, Jonathan's servants. Ziba, is there anybody left of Saul's house? Any relatives anywhere in the kingdom that I can show the kindness of the Lord to? That's Christ. He's wanting to be kind. He's wanting to look for someone, a recipient, to pour out love and mercy and favor and kindness and blessing upon. I want to do that. I'm looking for someone to do that. This would have been very unusual. Just so we know, in, in normal kingdoms, the, the incoming king, the normal custom of the new incoming king or the new king was to kill or banish any remaining relatives or descendants of the former king. Get rid of them. Get anybody that would be associated with that former king because I'm king now. This is totally the opposite, and it is totally Christ-like. We have nothing to offer the Lord. We have nothing to bring to the table, so to speak. We have nothing to offer the Lord to be part of his kingdom or to contribute other than our sin. I've heard somebody say, no man can rightly call anything his own but his sin. And we give that to God, and he takes it away. Amen? And he replaces it with the righteousness of Christ. But he's actually seeking out someone to show mercy to and kindness to and to bless him. So he sought out this man. He said, this Mephibosheth. And he went and fetched him and brought him. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm going to take care of you. And he restored the land to him. And he ate at the king's table. It is a type of the love of the Lord and the kindness shown by the Lord. Isaac Watts, the hymn writer, wrote, love so amazing, so divine. Demands my heart, my life, my all. It is amazing love that he has. Not only was Mephibosheth spared. Well, I'm going to let you live because you're lame and I don't think you can do any harm. We're going to let you live. He doesn't. Uh, he, <laughs> he doesn't only let him live, but he blesses him. He blesses him and says, you're going to eat at the king's table. You're going to be taken care of. And all the land that's been taken to you and the transitions of power and so forth, it's all going to be restored, restored to you and your family. You're going to be cared for. And so it's, it's this, again, we don't read the word thank you, but we see it, right? We ought to be thankful. We are like the Mephibosheth in this account. We are the Mephibosheth. You say, well, I, I feel a lot like I got a lot more to offer than that man did. We don't. Not in the picture of eternity, not when it comes to a holy God, not when it comes to the kingdom of God. We have nothing to offer the Lord other than ourselves. To give ourselves to him and say, forgive me, wash me in your blood, cleanse me, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Like we heard in Luke 18 this morning, the parable of the rich man and the publican, or the Pharisee and the publican in the temple praying, right? And the, the, the poor man or the publican said, have mercy upon me, Lord, a sinner. And he couldn't even look up to heaven. That's Mephibosheth. And you know what? That's us. That ought to be us if we don't think too highly of ourselves. And we ought to be thankful. Do you know, and I'm going to give the, the flip side of this Thanksgiving, grumbling and murmuring and complaining is sinful. Grumbling 
and murmuring and complaining is sinful. It's sinful. I would say it's unattractive in people. It's unattractive in our own lives. It's unacceptable in our children, for our children, those that have children. We don't accept it. We're going to teach them how to be thankful. And can I tell you, it's unacceptable in God's children. It's unacceptable in God's children. It's inappropriate. It's not befitting that a child of God who has been spared from hell and eternity separated from God should go through life complaining and murmuring when we're so blessed. I want to read just from Psalm 144. David's praying a blessing for Israel, for the people of Israel, a prayer. Lord, that our oxen may be strong in labor, that there be no breaking in, that there be no complaining in our streets. It's one of his prayers. Lord, don't let there be people complaining. You can have rich people and poor people and the haves and the haves nots as far as maybe material things go. You can have big, strong people. You can have sick and feeble people. That's life. That's life. That's all through life, okay? But he says that there be, part of his prayer was, Lord, let there be no complaining in our streets. Happy is the people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. See how they go together? There's no complaining and they're happy. And they're happy and God is their Lord and their God and King. So grumbling, complaining, it's sinful. It dishonors the Lord. It dishonors the Lord in whom uh, we live and move and have our very being. The God who alone is love and who alone is good and we are grumbling and complaining. We've all done it before. We might be in a state or a time in our life where we're doing it right now. I pray that the Lord would touch our hearts and and bring us out of that. Our Lord alone is the fountain of life and the giver of life and the forgiver of men's sins and the giver of every good gift. That's our God. Not the God of of Islam or the God of the Hindus or the God of of the atheists who don't, don't believe in anything. That's our God. He's the giver of every good gift. And to not be thankful to Almighty God for His benevolence and His kindness. Who's He benevolent and kind to? Who was David kind to? His, his soldiers who fought for Him and helped Him get the, the you know what I'm saying? Who was he? he? was kind to people that could give nothing in return. He was kind to people that were part of the house of His enemy that tried to kill Him. And this is our God, and to not be thankful for his benevolence to undeserving sinful men is one of the greatest offenses. We read it in the New Testament. The Bible tells us in Romans 1, it seems like we've been on this verse a lot lately, but it says, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. There are people that knew God. They know all about God. They're not in the dark when it comes to Jehovah. In our day, Jesus Christ and the cross and the resurrection, they know all about that. They know all about it. They even know it might even know it's the truth in the true way. But they don't glorify God. It says, neither were they thankful. That's not a little small thing thrown in there. I think the Lord wants us to see that. They didn't glorify God, and they weren't thankful. Wherefore, it says, God turned them over. God turned them over. Amen. Their foolish hearts were darkened, the Bible says. Being thankful to Lord to the Lord is very important. There's a preacher named Harry. Einstein, uh, Henry Einstein, we, we studied some of his Sunday school, we taught some of his books in Sunday school uh, years ago in this church, 
But he was given a, uh, gives an account that he was traveling and, and men- somewhere and ministering, and he stopped at some little roadside cafe to have lunch. And it was kind of crowded, and so another guy sat at the same table with him. It was just him and this other man. And he had his food, and the other man had his food, and Her- uh, Ironside bowed his head to begin to pray and, and offer a thanksgiving to the Lord. And the man goes, oh, are you one of those people? What, do you have a headache or something? Why are you bowing your head and closing your eyes? He goes, I'm, I'm thanking the Lord like I always do. Before I eat, I'm giving thanks. He goes, that man said, well, I work hard for my money. I don't owe thanks to anybody. I, I earn this money. And when I don't have to wait for anything. When my food comes, I can just dig in. He said, Harry, and Aaron said, you're just like my dog. That's what he does. He just d- digs right in. He's not thankful. Well, we don't want to be like a dog, okay? We want to be thankful to the Lord. God's kindness to us, God's long-suffering to us, God's patience to us. Jeremiah said, now nobody went through it. Very few people have gone through trials like Jeremiah did, a weeping prophet. He writes this in Lamentations, wherefore doth a living man complain? It's like, why does a living man complain? A man uh, for the punishment of his sins. Why does somebody complain when they're, they're going through life and getting punished for their sins? They ought to cry to God for mercy, he's saying. Why, wherefore does a living man complain? We're to be humble and we're to be thankful for the long-suffering of God to us. We can look at it really two ways. That he was long-suffering and patient to you and to me when we didn't know God, right? Some of you were saved as children. You really don't, can't think back to what it was like to not know the Lord. All right, but some have been saved when you were an adult and you were standing on your own two feet and you're coming out of a life of sin or worry or fear or pride or arrogance or uh, revelry or whatever it may be, and we're turning our lives over to the Lord. The patience and kindness when he could have just called us just taken our life and snuffed it out, and we've spent eternity in hell, and we deserved it. The long-suffering and the patience of God he showed to us when we were lost. And now think about the patience and mercy and grace that he shows us still. Do you not still need, as you're a Christian and born again, have you not daily or all through your day and all through your time needed that mercy and kindness of the Lord? We're to be thankful for that because he still extends it to us. He extended it to us when we were lost and we were enemies of God. He extends it to us still when we're, we walk in the flesh or sin against the Lord or cold-hearted. He's still patient with us. I say, again, we're the Mephibosheth. We're the one that bring nothing to the table other than our lameness to bring to God. And he gives us everything. He shows us such kindness. Our Lord has proved himself good time and time again. Has he not? Has the Lord not proven himself good to you and to me time and time again? Is he not worthy of our worship and our love and our thanksgiving? Is our God not worthy of that? He is. Often we as God's children, those that are saved, we can be unthankful. And I think we're unthankful to the Lord and unthankful to others that God uses to bless us. And Lord, God may send a blessing to us through a person. 
Many times he does. We might say most of the time he does. And we're unthankful to the Lord as Christians. We're unthankful to others that God uses to be a blessing to us. When the Lord healed ten lepers, they were, they were lepers. Not only were they sick and dying of a sickness that couldn't be cured, but they were outcast because of their leprosy. They had to live outside of the camp. They had to live and spend the rest of their times just literally rotting away, bit by bit, and that was their hope. They saw Jesus. They cried out to him for healing, ten lepers. He says, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went their way to show themselves to the priest and offer those things that Moses had commanded in the law, they were healed. All ten of them were healed. How many returned to give thanks? One stranger. One stranger, Jesus said. Were there not ten? I mean, I just think about it. Were, were there not ten? That must be the Lord's attitude. Didn't I not bless you, Randy? What are you complaining and grumbling for? What are you discontent for? Didn't I heal ten people? There's one to give thanks. Where are the nine? We ought to be that one, amen, that comes back. We're unthankful many times. And I believe the reason is because we choose to focus. And we might spend a big portion of our lives doing this. Pray we would learn. I would learn as well. We choose to spend a majority of our lives rather than focusing on the goodness of God and what he's done for us and the mercy of God. We focus on what we don't have, what others have that we don't have. And we feel sorry for ourselves. We, feel, we choose to focus and dwell on and stay dwelling on our problems and our hurts and our, how we've been offended and unanswered prayers that up to this point God has not answered. It's either not his will or not his time. And we choose to focus on that. We focus on all that we don't have and all others do have. Many feel, I don't think Christians are exempt of this, as we can get in our flesh like anyone else. Many feel that God owes them something. Life owes me something. I deserve better than this. You know we don't. We don't deserve any better than what we have. What we've got is so much better than what we deserve. So much better. Life owes me something. God owes me something. He owes us nothing. He owes us nothing, but he's given us everything in his son. God who spared not his own son, but offered him up for us all, how shall he not also freely with him give us what? All things. He owes us nothing, but he's freely given us all things in Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 5, where we're saying, uh, you know, you know uh, it goes through these bullet points, pray without ceasing and so forth. And, and, uh, and then he says, and be uh, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What's God's will for my life? I don't know everything, but I know one thing that's for my life and your life. It's God's will in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The only way that you and I can give thanks in everything Notice he doesn't say for everything. You know, some horrible 
thing may happen or a person be in power over the people or whatever, not necessarily we're thanking him for those things, but we can give thanks in those circumstances and situation. Still give thanks to a good God and a holy God. I know some of y'all are very familiar with Corey Timboom and her testimony. She was a Christian. Her family, they were Christians and they're not Jewish, but they were Dutch and they were hiding during the, uh, the World War II. They were hiding the Jews from the Nazis in their house. They got caught. And so not only were the Jews that were, they were hiding taken to the concentration camps, Corey Tim Boom and her family were taken. Her father died there. Her and her sister were put in a concentration camp. And the, the women were horribly treated. Uh, and the, one particular time, they were like in a cell. I don't think they spent their whole time in a cell, but one time they were in a cell or a room where it was her and her sister. And the Nazis would come, or some of the Nazi guards would come and rape the women that were prisoners there. And they came to Corey Timboom's cell and her sister's quarters, and they came in and they found that they had fleas. There were fleas in the beddings and, and in, the, in the things that were there. And so they left them. They left them. They didn't abuse those women. And she later, as she's writing about her experience and giving God the glory, she's thanking God for fleas. Thanking the Lord for fleas. How many of us would be thankful for fleas? The fleas were God's means by which it spared her and her sister from that, from that abuse that would have taken place. That, to me, we have to know. The only way we can be thankful is to know for we know that God works all things together for good to those that are called according to his purpose, right? That love the Lord. We have to know that. It can't be a scripture in our Bible that we sing a song about or have it posted on our refrigerator. It has to be we know that God works all things together for good. How can you give thanks in all things if you don't know that God works those same all things together for good for his people? That, are, that love him are called according to his purpose. And so we choose many times to focus on our problems and hurts and what others have that we don't have, and we're unthankful. And so my focus is on the wrong thing. I need to get my, go to the eye doctor, spiritual eye doctor, so to speak, and the prescription is to get my focus back on the Lord Jesus Christ, on his word. We need to look unto Jesus. We need to put our eyes back on Christ. We need to remember what Christ and his mercy saved us from and what he has saved us to. Job's wife, when Job was going initially at the beginning of his trials, it was a great trial that he went through. And as he's going through the trial, his wife is saying to him, just curse God and die. That's her counsel. Just curse God and go on and get your misery over with. He said, Thou speakest as a foolish woman, speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Sound like Mephibosheth. Fell on the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He doesn't say thank you one time in there, but do you see that he's thankful? That he's thankful 
He was thankful when he had the blessings coming his way. And he was prospered. And he was thankful when it was all taken away because he knew his Redeemer lives and he's going to see him face to face. And he was thankful when God restored it all to him at the end of his life. We need to be thankful and focus upon and keep our hearts fixed upon all that the Lord has provided for us and proven to us. I want you to read uh, another passage here. Turn in Numbers to Numbers chapter 11. So we know the account of the Israelites traveling through the wilderness. And for the most part, the Israelites traveling through the wilderness did not have a heart like David did. We heard in Sunday school, like Moses and Caleb and Joshua, the majority of the bulk of the people, they received the blessings of the Lord, but they didn't want to know the God behind the miracles. They just wanted, they just wanted whatever he had to give them. They didn't want him. Moses wanted him. And I want you to read this. So let's look at Numbers 11, verses 1 and 2. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. Told you it was sin, right? Complaining and murmuring is sin because he's a good God. It displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. So God judges them instantly at this moment. This is one of many complaints. My Bible records that there are 12 highlighted complaints of the children of Israel in the wilderness. This was the seventh one. So skip, skip down. I want to read some more. Verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting and the children of Israel also wept again. They're lusting for, for meat to eat. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, what sh Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. So they were in the, they were complaining, obviously. And I always think about this. I, I complain about things. I have to ask God to forgive me. I don't want to be a complainer. I don't want to live being a complainer. I want to live being thankful and a heart filled with gratitude. But the people complained. And I always think Moses ate the exact same manna for the exact same amount of time. Basically the 40 years in the wilderness. Caleb ate it. Joshua ate it. We don't read that they were complaining at all. The Bible says it tasted sweet like honey. They could bake it and make bread. They could actually fix it in different ways to eat it. And yet they're, they're right in the very midst of experiencing the miracles of God, his provision for them from Jehovah, and yet they were unthankful. What did the Israelites receive besides freedom from Egypt and watching Pharaoh's armies drown in the sea? And being coming out with the high hand of God, for 40 years they received manna from heaven. The day they went across the Jordan River, they ate of that new, new food that was there, and the manna ceased. But as long as they needed it, God provided it for 40 years. 
They received water from a rock. That rock followed them in the wilderness, so to speak. That rock was Christ. They received victory over enemies, the Amorites, on that side of the Jordan before they crossed it. The Bible says their shoes didn't wear out. Their feet didn't swell. They were led by the Lord, a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And yet they were unthankful and complained. They'd grown tired of the blessings of the Lord. And we can grow tired, or I guess you'd say used to. We just, huh, no big deal. You woke up this morning, you had two legs strong enough to stand up and walk out of your house and get in the car. We ought to be thankful. We ought to be thankful. Eyes good enough still to see and pick up your Bible and read it. We ought to be thankful. It's not our circumstances. The Israelites proved that and Moses proves that because he wasn't complaining in the same circumstances. It's not our circumstances. It's our heart. Now I'll be bringing this to a close. It's our heart. It's not my circumstances. It's my faith. And it's my focus on myself. Instead of focusing on God. Nowhere does the Bible. It tells us to examine our hearts. Whether we be in the faith. We're told to search me, O God, and know my heart. But our focus is to be on Christ. And when our focus is on Christ, we're not going to be complaining or murmuring. The people said, we've got nothing but this manna. That's literally what they said. We're sick of it. We remember the, the salad buffet we had back in Egypt. We remember it. And our soul loathes this manna. Moses didn't loathe it. Nothing but manna. Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson, he's not a Christian. I don't portray him as being that, okay? He was more of a, a universalist in his thoughts. But he did make a good point here in one of, one of his uh, comments. He says, if the stars came out only once a year, everyone would stay up all night to behold them. We have seen the stars so often that we don't bother to look at them anymore. We have grown accustomed to his blessings, he says. We don't portray him as being a Christian, but that is a, a good thought. If the stars only came out once a night, you know, you get all excited about some uh, eclipse that's going to happen or something we have one recently. We want to see it. That's neat. That's cool. Uh, we get accustomed to the blessings of the Lord. And you and I need to stir ourselves up. We need to stir ourselves up to remember the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen. That we're part of the, of the kingdom of God. We must truly see our sinful condition, who and what we were and are apart from the goodness of God, apart from the righteousness of Christ, apart from the forgiveness that he offers. We need to appreciate the more we see what we deserve how undeserving we are, the more we're going to be thankful for what we have, whether it's a lot or a little. And nowhere are we told to compare ourselves by ourselves. We're told not to do that. It's unwise. So-and-so's got more money. So-and-so just got a new house. So-and-so just got a promotion. The Bible says we ought to rejoice with those that rejoice. Somebody in your church got a promotion, you ought to say hallelujah. Look at the favor of God. Okay? We ought to do it sincerely from our hearts. And not just lip service. We need to stir ourselves up to forget not all his benefits. Amen.
the good things that the Lord has done. Remember that how undeserving we are of the very least of his mercies and blessings and fully deserving of the fullness of, of the wrath of God. I'm going to bring this to a close, but uh, Dee, and I didn't mean to embarrass her, but she, for ever since I've known her, since we've been married and probably before that, she, she gets a yearly prayer calendar and she writes out her prayers. And it's kind of, I can't read it, it's gibberish to me. But she writes out her, uh, her prayers, and then she'll, she, she's excited. By the end of the year, she'll close that one, and she'll transfer prayers to her new one, you know, for the upcoming 2024. And she'll say, Randy, look how many prayers God answered this past year. And I don't even think about it. I'm like, uh, and she's got them detailed. Look what the Lord has done. Look how many prayers the Lord has answered for us that I don't have to transfer to my new calendar as a prayer request to the Lord. It's good to remember that. It's good to remember the kindness of the Lord and what he's done. The Lord will help us, y'all, if we will allow him. But again, it's not based on our circumstances, based on our hearts, our faith in God, where our spiritual eyes are focused, and the condition of our hearts. He can make us a thankful people. And he will do it. I think he can do it pretty quickly. We're going to be much happier. And you know what else we'll be? We'll be a far greater witness for Christ when we're thankful. I don't know about you. I don't want to be around a grumbler, complainer. Always looks at the negative. Always looks at the worst. I don't want to be around myself sometimes when I act that way. It's not pleasing to the Lord. Close with this. Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry lived uh, late 1600s into the early 1700s. He was born in Wales and spent most of his time in England. We know Matthew Henry at the Matthew Henry commentary where he's written on the Bible. Wonderful, wonderful man of God. He used to keep a diary. And one day uh, he was assaulted and beaten up by thieves and robbed of his wallet. They call and so book at that time, he says, he was robbed of his pocketbook. And so later that day, he's writing in his diary. This is how his diary reads. Let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Isn't that good? This, I've never been robbed before this. Be thankful for that. Second, because although they took my purse, they didn't take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, I love this because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. I'm not the thief. I was robbed. They're the thief. You understand? It's just wonderful. There was a, a friend who kept witnessing to his friend, said, you got to come to my church and hear my preacher. Uh, he's just always giving thanks. He's thanking God for everything. And he finally talks his friend into going, and as they were going, uh, there was a huge storm. His church was out in the country. They just got through, and it washed out the road behind them. And they get to the church, and the storms is coming down. The preacher's already there, and there's nobody there because they couldn't make it there because of the weather, and the road was washed out. But these two men made it, and the, the, the visitor said to his friend, he said, I bet he can't find anything to be thankful for tonight. And the preacher gets to the pulpit and opens up and he says, thank you, Lord, that it's not always like this. That's how he started off 
his sermon. But y'all, we need to be thankful. We need to, and D, you can come up. Thanksgiving coming up, and usually you think about our country, and I'm very thankful for our country. But I'm thankful to Almighty God. I'm thankful to Almighty God, and I want to be a thankful person. I don't want to be a grumbler, a complainer like the children of Israel. I want to be like Paul who learned to be content in every situation, in every circumstance. He had learned where they had a lot or little therewith to be content. He was content in a Roman prison at least twice. He was content where they had much or little. And I'll close with this verse, y'all, and the altars are open. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And we, we want to be thankful. The altar's open. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. Father, we thank you, Lord. God, we thank you that our spiritual eyes have been opened. We're not walking in blindness and darkness. Lord, we're no better at all than Mephibosheth. We're no better at all than that publican who beat his breast in the, in the temple and couldn't lift up his eyes to heaven. God, what you have saved us from and what you have saved us to, God, we're thankful. God, I want to pray that you would forgive me for times that I'm ungrateful to you. I'm ungrateful un or thankful to people that you have used to bless my life. I pray that you would forgive me for always looking at what I don't have as opposed to what you've blessed me with, Lord. God, I pray we be known as a happy people and a thankful people, Lord. I pray you touch our hearts and lives. This morning, God, I'm not praying for our circumstances to be changed, Lord. We do that all the time. We're praying for our hearts to be changed, God. That you would make us like Matthew Henry and when he was robbed and say, I'm thankful that it was I who was robbed and not me that robbed. God, help us to be a holy and happy and thankful people. We do thank you this morning. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the gift of eternal life. We thank that as far as the east is from the west, so far you've moved our transgressions from us. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for this church and our brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you that you're our healer. We thank you that heaven uh, is our home and that this earth is not our home, God. We praise you and we bless you. Thank you for the strength and grace you give us day by day to make it, Lord. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.